0: find your way in God's word to Mark chapter 9. We have been camping out here for a couple of weeks and today we'll continue to dig into, into these precious words. And I want you to know that as you hear something that you have already covered, listen closely because each time we go across this, we, we dig a little deeper. Each time we go over the scriptures, we dig a, a little deeper and there's so much going on. I, I don't I don't want to just breeze by it. So bear with me as we continue to study God's precious Word. We have seen a transition happening in the ministry of Jesus. The cross is not far away. The cross is not far off from here and, and Jesus is, is equipping his disciples. He's training up his disciples. He's, he's preparing them for the days to come. He, he cuts back on his public ministry per se and 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 is more focused on the twelve. And and he began this back uh, when he tells them about his death back in chapter 8. If you remember, he teaches that the Son of Man must suffer many things. He will be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes. And and he will be killed, and after three days he will rise again. And he said that plainly. Even though he has said this plainly, this was a difficult teaching, as we know. And the disciples struggled with it, as we have seen. They could not comprehend how the sent one, the Son of God, how the Messiah was going to be a Savior by dying. It doesn't make sense to man. They understood the man, they understood who the man was, but they could not understand the plan. So after dropping that little nugget, or or should I say that bomb on them, Jesus takes the three disciples up on the mountain, and he takes Peter, James, and John to the top of the mountain, and he reveals his glory to them. Jesus was transfigured right before their very eyes. And and the purpose for allowing these men to see Jesus in his glory is it was so that they could gain a better or a greater understanding of who Jesus really is. Think about this for a moment. Uh, These ordinary men, these 12 ordinary men had watched Jesus do miracle after miracle. They watched him doing things that only God can do. He gave sight to the blind. He fed thousands of people with a few loaves of bread. He healed all ailments. He brought people back from the dead. These ordinary men were eyewitnesses to to all of it. They watched this man. Now, don't miss that point. That, That they watched a man who claimed to be the son of God perform miracles that only God can do. They saw an ordinary man, a man, do all of this. What would be your reaction? Think about that. You're doing life. Here comes a man who claims to be the son of God and starts performing miracles. What would be going through your mind? If you had to be a witness to these incredible miracles. Well, these ordinary men, what they did was they put their faith in him. That was their reaction. They had been taught enough. They had seen enough to know that Jesus was not just an ordinary man, even though he looked it. They had seen enough to know that Jesus was indeed the son of God. They had put their faith in Christ. They they understood that he was the sent one from God. And so with that proclamation, Jesus gave them a little more. He takes him up on the mountain and he undergoes a dramatic change in appearance right before their very eyes. The greatest miracle that we have recorded. The disciples had only known him in his human body. That's all they've ever seen is Jesus the man. All they ever have seen is him in his human form Now they see Him in His glorified state. They now have a greater realization of the deity of Christ. They now know without a doubt that Christ is more than just a man. Though they could not fully comprehend it it all, seeing Christ in His glorified state gave them the reassurance they needed to carry out the mission that they were all called to go on. They needed this reassurance, especially especially after hearing the shocking news of his coming death they needed this reassurance they needed more than just words they needed to know that jesus was not going to leave them he's been with them all this time then he said i'm going to die they're probably in shock it's probably where the confusion come in came in so put yourself in these men's positions they gave up everything to follow jesus They were looking forward to Jesus being an earthly leader. They were looking forward to ruling with Christ. And Jesus says, I'm going to be killed. That's why there's so much denial and confusion with the disciples. They could not comprehend how this is all going to roll out. And Jesus knew this. And so he revealed his glory to them on that day. They would know that they know that Jesus would return, even though he would be put to death and buried. And as we saw last week, not only did they not understand that Jesus was going to be killed, was going to be killed, but they could not comprehend the resurrection. They could not understand how Jesus was going to rise from the dead. And and again, I point out, they eventually did. We all know that. But I love repeating what John and Peter said on this side of the cross, on this side of the resurrection. Jesus says, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only. Peter wrote, we did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses to his majesty. I love proclaiming what those men preached. I love to hear their boldness when they proclaimed that truth because they knew it was truth they were proclaiming the good news they were proclaiming the gospel message to the world and I love those verses I love to proclaim those verses and I will weed them in a sermon every chance I get amen and we have to ask ourselves as we we hear those verses are we as bold and as confident when we share the truth with others are we as bold as they were because we should be you know, we have the same Holy Spirit in us that they have, no difference. We should be just as sure about the truth as they were. We, we have the written word. We should be more sure. So Jesus knew that what the men needed. He knew the exact time they needed, and he revealed his glory to them. And we saw last week as they came down from the mountain, they saw the other nine disciples in a heated argument with the scribes. And, and, when, they, uh, when, and, and when they were asked what they were arguing about, a man jumps up, and he, and he answers, hey, teacher, I brought my son. He has an evil spirit, makes him mute. Uh, it seizes him, throws him down. He foams. He grinds his teeth. He said, I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. There's the problem. There's the argument. The disciples could not cast out this demon, even though they had the power to do this before. So Jesus asked the father in his humanity, how long has this been happening to him? I thought that was special. You know, he could have just easily just you know, done the miracle right there, but he stopped in his humanity and in his love. How long has this been happening to him? And he said from childhood, and it often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. Take note, this evil demon w- 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 had been trying to destroy this child, this young man. We're going to come back that, to that again, but make note of that. He was trying to cause death. And the father says, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us, verse 23. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for the ones who believe. This child's father believed, but he had doubt that Jesus was able. He doubted the power of God. If, if you can, he says. And Jesus is saying to him, It's not a question of my ability to heal. What is in question is your faith in me and my power. Listen, the disciples needed to hear that. We need to hear this. We need assurance in our walk also. Just as the disciples needed to make sure that they understood that their faith in Christ and his power had to be rock solid, we need to make sure that ours is also. They needed to hear this man doubt the power of God so that they would not question the power of God in the future. Jesus is equipping and building a foundation for these men to carry the kingdom out into the world. And they needed to understand. They needed to know that all things are possible for the ones who believe in the power of Christ. I mentioned this last week, but I'm going to hit it again because... This verse has caused more heartache in people than can be measured. And and because of the false teachers using it out of context, you know, all things are possible for the one who believes, is not a ticket to get any and everything we want, and that's the way it's used. Can I just say thank God that, that He does not give us everything we ask for? Look back. Praise the Lord that God does not answer all the prayers that we have prayed for ourselves. I I was having this discussion with my golf buddy Paul this week, and and he brought up, he said, there were several times he had prayed for various situations, and it didn't work out like he prayed. And he said, said, hey, I, I was really disappointed. I was upset with God, you know, because we're talking about this verse here. He said, but now, 10 years later, I look back, and I praise God he didn't answer those prayers. You know, listen, this, this text has been used out of context many, many times, and it's used by the health and wealth preachers over and over again. You can name it and claim it if you just believe. So wrong. So wrong. Know this. We cannot expect to have everything for which we pray for as if Jesus is some great genie that magically fulfills all our fleshly, selfish desires. We must keep the scriptures in context. And that's why we preach line by line. That's why we go through the scriptures verse by verse. So here we see all things are possible with God. It means that we can have everything we need to serve Christ. He will give us everything we need. A very, very true statement. God has given us everything we need to glorify God. We have everything we need to worship God. We've had, we have the power we need to be followers of God. We have the power we need to continue to run the good race no matter what obstacle that may be in our way. We can run that good race. Now, don't think that you can't pray for anything. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> you know, we, we are free to ask for whatever we want. But the key is as long as we realize that God will answer according to his will. That's the key. When we will what he wills, listen, at that point, we truly have the mind of Christ and can ask anything, being assured of God's answer. But we only get to that point by knowing and understanding God's word, knowing the scriptures, knowing his will. That's why we must stay in the scriptures. Write this verse in your margins. This just backs up what Christ said here in our text today. John fourteen twelve through 14. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. So whoever believes, that that is, whoever has faith in Christ will do the works that Jesus did. He's talking about someone serving and following Christ. He continues, and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. So Jesus is is not going to be with them. He's going to be with the Father. So he gives them assurance. He gives them this assurance. I'm not going to be here with you, but you're going to be able to continue to do my works. And he says in verse 13, whatever you ask in my name, this is another one taken out of context. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Jesus is telling them, I will provide you with the necessary resources to accomplish the work that is set before you. Same thing is happening in our text today. Jesus is preparing his disciples for his departure. And he assures them that he will give them everything that is needed to fulfill the works that they will be doing when he's gone. That's the true meaning of these verses. So when we pray. We need to pray that we will need what, what we need in order to do God's will. We need to pray for his purposes and his kingdom and not for our selfish gain. I hit this every chance I get because there's a lot of bad teaching and it's caused a lot of problems in churches. Tremendous heartache and confusion. I've seen it. And, you know, these verses are used, usually used by someone who wants you to show your faith by sending your money to them. Don't do it. Don't do it. God will give us everything we need to run this good race. Everybody good with that? Back to the disciples. They are powerless in the face of this child's condition. They cannot do anything on their own. They tried everything they knew to do of their own power, and they could not accomplish this task set before them. They have come down to the last resort. Prayer. Prayer. How many times we've we heard that? Well, there's nothing left to do but to pray. We have exhausted all our human power. The only thing we can do is pray. That's what's happening here. They ask, how come we couldn't cast them out? Jesus said, you know, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. And I hear James the Lesser or maybe Andrew saying, I told you guys we should have prayed. Should have listened to me. That's not in scripture, but I'm thinking it probably happened. They're very prideful guys, so I'm sure somebody spoke <laughs> up. I, I know we all know this, but we fail at this so many times. So many times in our lives, we should be praying. So many things in our lives, we should be praying over, and yet we don't. You know, a, a lot of times our prayer ends up being praying for Jesus to fix our mess. You know, so too many times we get to that point of nothing left to do but to pray. We, we need to do better. We need to do better as a church. I need to do better about praying. We need to be praying without ceasing. We need to be praying at all times. We need to have the faith. We need to have faith in our Lord and continue to commune with him through prayer. So important. We need to pray and have faith like the Father did. What did he say? He said, I believe. Help my unbelief, verse 24. Verse 24. This statement right here is a great way for us to measure our faith. You say, well, how's that? Well, true faith is always aware of how small and inadequate it is. Did you hear that? True faith is always aware of how small and and inadequate it is. You know, that's true for all of us that have faith in Christ. When we realize our faith, is like, man, I have faith, but I need more. You know? It's okay to say, I believe, but I have doubt. We're our, we are human. We all do believe. Listen, th- th- this father's a believer, but, you know, it, it wasn't that he believes when he amasses a sufficient amount of faith. That wasn't happening there. Listen, he puts everything on the line with what? With what little bit of faith he had. What we see here is a sinful man, a fallen man, who turns his insufficiency to the true sufficiency of Christ. I do believe, he says. And he turns to Jesus and says, Help me overcome my unbelief. That's how it works. And that's what the disciples needed to hear. And us also. Do you you see the theme that's running through this text as Jesus is preparing to, to send his disciples out? Man is inefficient, but with Christ we are sufficient. Man is powerless to do the work of God, but with Christ we have all the power we need. Man cannot rely on self, but in prayer man gives it all to God and totally relies on relies on God. Jesus was training up his disciples to be able to carry out the mission that he has set before them. He is equipping them to continue to do the work of God. He said, I'm not going to be with you. You need to get this down. And so Jesus gives them a real-life example of how faith and unbelief are mixed together in our hearts. And, and, you know, he's saying you must foster that faith and resist that unbelief. They must humble themselves daily before God and ask Jesus for stronger faith. And that applies to us too, right? Every day. Humbly place ourselves before God and ask Jesus for stronger faith. So Jesus cast out the demon, and when he did, look what the scripture said happened, verse 26. After crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. So the evil spirit was cast out, and it leaves the boy in a death-like condition. The the people that were there, they took him for dead, said, this guy's dead. But Jesus did what? He took him by the hand, and he arose. Think about this. Watch as we put this together. What were the disciples questioning on the way down the mountain? They kept this matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. So this is happening as they're coming down the mountain. The first thing that, that happens when they get to the bottom is they see this, the disciples, other disciples, arguing. They see Jesus confront a demon. They see an evil spirit that tries to kill a boy. Jesus casts out that demon, the boy is laid there like a dead person, and Jesus takes him by the hand, and the young man arose. Look what Jesus just did for his disciples. They didn't understand the resurrection, so Jesus gives them an object object lesson on the meaning of his death and resurrection. The disciples have just questioned what it means to be raised from the dead, and Jesus answered it the best way possible with a visual some people learn different ways i guess not only did they see the example of a resurrection but through this episode they see the mission of jesus they see jesus ushering in the kingdom of god here comes the kingdom and he confronts and defeats the power of evil he cast out that demon He sets the captives free. Evil has no power over the kingdom of God. And just like Jesus proclaimed in chapter 1, the kingdom of God is at hand, and it was displayed right before their very eyes. And Jesus could not not have given his disciples a more more perfect picture of the power of God and the kingdom of God and the power of life through Jesus Christ himself. Jesus gives the perfect illustration to answer their questions and to squash their doubt. And he continues to teach. He follows up with more teaching. Look at verse 30. And they went on from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples. See, again, he's taking, he's, he's spending time with his disciples, saying to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will arise. But they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. So again, he tells about the death and resurrection. Again, right right behind this this, uh, event that just happened. So watch. Put all this together. Jesus tells his disciples in chapter 8, Son of man is going to suffer many things. He's going to be rejected. He's going to be killed and rise after three days. The response of the disciples? They didn't understand the plan of salvation. So Jesus takes three of them, three of them up on the mountain, reveals his glory to them, gives them, gives them a deeper insight as to who Jesus is. Elijah and Moses and Jesus are discussing the, the death of Jesus. They're discussing the plan. So Jesus charged the men to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. What's the response of the disciples? They question what the rising from the dead might mean. They understand who Jesus is, but they cannot comprehend what the death, burial, and resurrection meant, and how it how it would come into play, how how it came into play for the return of the kingdom of God's kingdom. Then they come down the mountain. Jesus gives the greatest illustration of how the kingdom will confront and conquer evil. Evil. He gives a beautiful picture of a resurrection, and the disciples still don't make the connection. He teaches them that the power is in God and not of, not self. He teaches them about having faith in the power of God. He teaches them that they must be praying. He teaches them that this is what is, what needs to happen as the kingdom of God goes out into the world. And after all of that going on, Jesus takes the disciples off to, to themselves, no distractions. They should have been listening intently and he says to them again. The son of man is going to be delivered up into the hands of men. They will kill him. And when he is killed, after that, he will raise. He he will rise. You know, this is what's going on. And Jesus recaps that. And what's the response of the disciples? They did not understand. They didn't understand. I'm sitting there thinking, what more did Jesus need to do to get them to see what's going to happen? What more does he need to do to get them to understand? These are some hard-headed guys. And then I looked up and saw my reflection in my window again. I got to find somewhere else to study. Too much conviction going on. I need a new place. I'm going to pull the shade down or something. But we're, we're, we're just like the disciples, you know. Sometimes we don't get it. We're hard-headed. But we continue in the study of the Scriptures. We continue. And as we hear it again and again, as they did, one day God will open our hearts to the truth, and we start to get it, and we start to put it all together. You know, I'm telling us because I don't want anybody ever to be discouraged. You know, I don't, I don't understand all this. How do you know all this? And they get to this point, like, don't be discouraged. Listen, th- 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 this is, how, this is how it happens. We start to get it, and as we do, we become more and more like Christ. That's our progressive sanctification. I mean, look back at your walk away. Just look back. If you've been saved five years, look back five years ago and look at your knowledge of Christ in the Scriptures then. You've grown. You've grown. Don't be discouraged because sometimes it doesn't come together. That's the doctrine of salvation. This is how we walk and grow with Christ. You know, something to point out here, and Chris, you know, hit on this a minute ago. As we studied Jesus teaching his disciples, it's been encouraging to see that Jesus didn't quit on them. How easy would that have been? All right, forget you guys, I'll get another 12. You know? But he didn't. Even though they didn't comprehend it all, he didn't quit. You know why? Because they understood who Jesus was. That he is the son of God. He's the savior. They had a foundation. That's where it begins. It begins with understanding who Jesus is. And you know, we set that challenge before our congregation each and every Sunday as we partake in the Lord's Supper, as we do a self-examination. The first thing we ask is, do you understand who Jesus is? Because that's, be- that's where it begins. The rest comes from that point. So be encouraged. I'm here to encourage you. Be encouraged as you grow in Christ. He'll never give up on you. Back to the training. Now, I love what the word says about the disciples here. Verse 32. He just just explained the death, burial, and resurrection, and and they don't understand it. And so instead of questioning uh, Jesus, what does it say? They were afraid to ask him. Now, you got to give credit where credit is due to these guys. Do you remember what happened to Peter when he interjected his thoughts on the death of Jesus? <laughs> <You know? laughs> so He got the biggest rebukes one could get from Christ himself. Get behind me, Satan, Jesus said to him. So I guess they're thinking, I ain't saying, you, you don't say it. You, you. No, not me. Maybe Peter will say something again. I don't know. But they were afraid to ask him be best to be quiet but you know what I think there's a little more here I'm thinking that they were silent because the words that Jesus spoke had a devastating effect on their hopes for a reigning Messiah here on this earth did you hear that the words that Jesus spoke had a devastating effect on their hopes for a reigning Messiah here on this earth you see what they're, they're looking for earthly rewards The next conversation the disciples had with each other after this reveals what's really in their heart. They are very full of pride, like we all are. But they are very full of pride, and that's one of the first things that has to go. And and Jesus begins to challenge his disciples to become more like Christ. They need to get rid of that pride, and it begins with humility. He brought this theme to light back in chapter 8 as he began to explain discipleship and what it would cost to be a follower of of Christ. He said, if anyone will come after me, what? Let him what? Deny himself. That's the first step towards humility, denying self. And as as Jesus proclaimed his death, burial, and resurrection three times to the men, he does it in Mark, they should have picked up on, on the humility and suffering that was about to come, but as we see in our text, humility w- had not quite set in on these guys. Verse 33. Look at this conversation. Now, this is right after Jesus tells them that he's going to die, and they come to Com- and they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked him "What were you discussing on the way?" But they kept silent. Funny again, they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, he knew knew their hearts, right? They kept silent, but he knew what, what they were thinking and what they were arguing about. He said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them, and taking him in his, in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Is this not amazing? Does, does this not give you a clear picture of the heart of fallen man, of prideful man? Jesus speaks of the humiliation and suffering of the Son of Man. And right here is a debate among the disciples about who's who's the greatest. Jesus speaks of his humility, and the disciples speak of their desire for recognition. Each time Jesus spoke of his humiliation and death, we see the pride of man. Listen, the first time Jesus told of his death, what happened? uh, Peter rebukes Jesus because he assumed that the Messiah would be privileged, not suffering and shame. We saw that the men, were, we just saw that the men are talking about who's the greatest right after Jesus tells them he's going to be killed. And we will see in chapter 10, Jesus tells them that he will be delivered up. This is his third time talking about the Passion. He will be delivered up. They will mock him, spit on him, flog him, kill him. And right after that, James and John request to sit at the right hand and the left hand of God in glory. In all three passion predictions, Jesus speaks of the necessity of his rejection, suffering, and death, and following all three, the disciples voice their ambition for status and prestige. Jesus speaks of surrendering his life. The disciples speak of fulfilling theirs. Jesus counts the cost of discipleship. They count its assets. The disciples had not yet learned that the reward of discipleship comes only as a consequence of following Christ on the costly way to Jerusalem. That's where the rewards come from. But man is full of pride, wants recognition, wants status. But 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 note this the, 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 about the disciples. They are only living or going by what they know or by what they've been taught at that time. Matters of rank were very important to the Jews. So it's natural for the disciples to be concerned about their status in the coming messianic kingdom. They they didn't understand it all, but they did want to know where their position would be because that's the way they were taught to think. Be prideful. Pride was at full bloom among the men. And as we can see right here, what's the first thing that pride does? It destroys unity. And it was happening within, within these men. They were arguing over who's the greatest. All because of a desire for rank and position and recognition. Think about the religious leaders back then. This this is the example that these guys have have been looking at all their lives. Were the religious leaders humble? No. Not at all. They were prideful. There there was no humility anywhere. They loved the best seats. They, They demanded the best seats at the table. If they gave money, they wanted people to know about it. They loved to be seen and greeted in the marketplaces. If they were fasting, they would put oil on. They would, I mean, they wouldn't put oil on. They would look terrible so everybody would know how holy they are. They wore the clothes to be recognized. They wanted to be first and expect to be treated as such. No humility. But the teaching of Jesus is totally opposite of what they had been taught. And he sat down and called the twelve and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. The way to be first is to humble yourself. True honor is when when you are willing to be last. It comes when you're not willing to be first. Jesus modeled this. It always goes back to Jesus, right? He's our model. He's the one we go to. He came to serve. He didn't come to be served, right? He came to serve. You see, we have to get rid of that idea of being first. We, we think that being first is a way to elevate ourselves, but Jesus says the way to elevate ourselves is to humble ourselves and put others first. This goes against everything that we are taught in this world. Look out for number one. If you don't love yourself, who will? Humility is a tough one to get down. The moment you claim it, you just lost it. It's a tough one. We're going to come back on next week and pick up on pride and humility. We're gonna, we're, we'll look deeper into how pride causes disunity and how humility is, is critical for the testimony of the gospel in the church. But as we leave here today, we must know that we are called to be on this mission. We are all called. We are called to be servants of God, and it begins with humility. If we humble ourselves and confess before the Lord that we are sinners in need of forgiveness, he is faithful to forgive. It all begins there, and from there, God will give us everything we need to glorify him. From there, he will give us everything we need to worship him. From that point on, he will give us the power we need to be followers of Christ. He will give us the power we need to continue to run the good race no matter what obstacle is in our way. What we have to know is man is inefficient, but with Christ we are sufficient. Man is powerless to do the work of God, but with Christ we all have the power we need to do the work. Man cannot rely on self, but in prayer we give it all to God and totally rely on him for everything. And we do that daily. Amen. Pastor Jared.